Guys, thanks so much for joining us here today at Riverside Community Church. My name is Brian Doback. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in the, we're in the second week of an eight-week series uh, in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Yeah, an obscure book. Uh, Malachi, it's, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Between Malachi and the coming of Jesus in the New Testament is a 400-year period of silence from God. Now, God, he didn't disappear. He didn't go away. He didn't leave his people. He simply just stopped speaking to Israel through prophets. And Malachi is the last prophetic book in the Old Testament. And most significantly, Malachi is the last word from God before the word becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. Man, last week we learned about God's love. Is everybody here for last week? We learned about God's love and how God's love is best represented through the choice that he made in choosing Jacob and choosing Israel as, as a people for himself to, as the recipients of his covenant love, best represented in his choice. And we learned about this disconnect uh, between God's view of his love, but we also learned about uh, Israel's view of God's love. And they were two different things. Well, God's correct. He has a right view of his love. Israel has a misunderstanding of God's love. And we saw that disconnect yesterday. And this disconnect, it's leading Israel into a, a path of spiritual lethargy, dehydration, spiritual dehydration, complacency in their worship and their praise of him. This, 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 so for us today, through Jesus, God, he has extended his covenant love to all nations and those who would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we become the recipients of God's covenant love through Jesus. God's choosing, it's an expression of his love that's meant to humble us. It's, it's meant to humble us and remove boasting, remove entitlement, remove pride, remove self-reliance. God's love in Christ should motivate us. It should lift us up. It should lift us up and it should empower us. It should embolden us to obedience to God and, and servitude and our sacrificial life for God. And it should impact our relationships with people in our family and in our community and here in the church. So when we misunderstand God's love in Christ, a disconnect grows and we fall into spiritual lethargy and complacency which we see here in Malachi in the Israelites. So starting today, we're going to see how this plays out, how it plays out in the Israelites' actions and in their duties for God and in their lives. And we're going to see how it plays out in our lives today as well. So let's open up to the text, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And the scripture's up there on the screen. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. I don't hear any Bibles opening out there, man. Right, oh, okay, you're already there. Good, good. <laughs> hey, I know some guys use their phones now, you know, you guys, and that's cool. Verses 6 through 14. The scripture says this it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? 
by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hands, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would just shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Man, you see, God is confronting Israel. He's confronting the priests of Israel. Malachi is a confrontational book. It's a conversation between him and the Israelites through Malachi. But man, this is, this is confrontational as well. So let's, let's, let's walk in humility here and just receive what God has to say to the Israelites and understand what he's trying to tell us today through this word. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Guys, we need to start where God begins. And where does he begin? He begins with himself. He begins with himself. Everything begins with God and who he is. Everything. Just like last week in the scripture, where did God begin? He began with himself. What did he say? He said, I have loved you. He didn't say, you haven't loved me. No, he puts it on himself. He says, I have loved you. And the Israelites respond, how have you loved us? Everything begins with God. And here he plainly identifies himself as what? Father, master. You see in the scripture there, Father, Master, Father, Master, Lord of hosts, great King. Five times throughout the scripture, he refers to what? My name. He refers to my name. In biblical times, a name was important. It meant something in biblical times. You were given a name because of what it meant, not because it sounded cool or it rhymes with your parents' names or something. It meant something. A person's name was the whole essence of who they were. The essence of who God is is in his name. It's how he reveals himself to others. His name is his person. It's his, it's his work. It's his person. It's his character. And it's his work. So to despise God's name is to despise who God is. This is about God and his name and his glory. 
and his reputation among men. Man, and, and Numbers chapter 6, verse 27, God actually, he puts his name on the people. The scripture says this. He says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. He puts his name on the people. He attaches his name to his people. Guys, it's like companies. They endorse an athlete. They're putting their essence. They are putting their name on this athlete. We're going to endorse you. And then what happens when the athlete messes up? The relationship is severed, right? Man, praise God that he doesn't do that. In Christ, he puts his name on us. He attaches his name to us. Man, because of what Christ has done, when we sin, God lovingly brings us back into his arms, and he does not sever the relationship with us and with his people. Guys, this is about God and his name and what he does for us. Praise God for that. So how the Israelites, how they despised and disrespected and dishonored God's name. Man, God turns his attention to the priests. He first turns his attention to the priests. They were bringing to God at the altar blemished sacrifices, blind, lame, sick, diseased animals to the altar for their sacrifices for atonement and for forgiveness. It's God's law in Leviticus. Um, everybody in here has read Leviticus, I know. <laughs> yeah. That burnt offerings, burnt offerings for animal sacrifices are male goats that are without blemish. Without blemish. They are without blemish or defect. They were to give God the best. The best of what they had. Now in giving God less than their best, they were despising God. They were despising God and, and his name. They were despising God's gospel, his gospel of atonement, his gospel of forgiveness, and his gospel of the cleansing of sin. They were despising all of that. But I don't want to look at their sacrifices, really, as much as I want to look at the hearts of the priests and the people. I want to go deep. Don't get me wrong, the sacrifices are important. God holds them to a high, high regard. It's the first place he goes in Malachi. But I want to look at the hearts of the people. What is going on in their hearts? I want to give you an illustration. Are you all familiar with re-gifting? Yeah, we all are. I am. Guys, the, there's, there's, there's good re-gifting and there's bad re-gifting. There's re-gifting that can come from a pure heart. But... I know that there's regifting that comes from a bad heart too. Man, where you just don't put in the effort. You don't put in the investment. You don't put in the time to go out and buy a nice gift for your, your, your nephew or your niece for their birthday or whatever it is. You just don't care. This isn't about regifting. This is about an impure heart. This is about a complacent heart. That's what we're seeing in, in, the, in the hearts of the priests here and in the Israelites. They have this heart that comes from that sense of, of where we re-gift and we're just not putting any effort or investment into it. That's what we're seeing here today. And, you know, if the, if the person knew it was a re-gift, <laughs> they'd probably be upset, right? We know about re-gifts. I do. 
as to get a further look into their hearts, we got to look at their words, okay? The questions that they ask, because what comes out of their mouth comes from the heart. So we got to look at the questions they ask up there on the screen. How have we despised your name? How have we polluted you? What's going on there? They don't recognize what they're doing is wrong. <laughs> they're blind. They're blind to what they're doing. That's what sin does. That's what sin does in our lives. It blinds us. After a while, we don't even recognize that we're sinning. That's what sin does in our hearts. It hardens our hearts. What else? The Lord's table may be despised. The Lord's table may be despised. They are approving of it. They're saying, we can do this. It may be despised. That's what sin does in our hearts. After a while, our hearts harden and we just begin to approve what we're doing. And we just accept it. That's what, we're, that's, what we're, that's what their hearts are doing here. What else? A weariness this is. What a weariness this is. Guys, serving God for them has become tiresome. It's become tiresome and boring. And what else does God say? He's like, you snort at it. You know what that means? It's like, maybe you're just tired of doing something and you're just like, whatever. <laughs> that's what he's saying. You snort at it. <laughs> okay. Whatever. And the priests have turned their duties to God into religious game playing. That is what they're doing here. They're making the sacrifices, but they're not obedient sacrifices. Sure, they're burning the animals and they're bringing animals there, but they're not obedient. They're not according to what God is commanding them in these sacrifices. So God regards them as nothing. At the end of the day, God doesn't want religious sacrifices. He wants relational obedience. He wants obedience that comes from the heart. And it comes through a relationship with him, a growing, loving relationship with him. And then you see there in verse 8, he says, would you give this to, to your governor? The governor at that time would probably be the Persian king. The Persian king has all authority and all power over man, men and women in the lands from an earthly standpoint. Man, would you do this for the Persian king? Because the Persian king, if he didn't accept your gift, your offering, he'd probably kill you on the spot. And God's like, what about me? I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth. Would you do this for your governor? No, you wouldn't do this for your governor. <laughs> you know, I imagine the president walking through the back door right now. How would we react if, if the president came in? Well, some of you probably wouldn't react at all. <laughs> but man, when the president's here, we would probably be like in awe that the president is before us. Man, or if the president told you I'm coming to your house tonight, what would you do? You might go to the store and get him a nice gift. I don't know. Man, what about God? What are we, what are we sacrificing and giving to, to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth? Verse 10, God basically says, man, let's just shut the doors. Let's just shut the doors. What is the point? What are we doing here? These sacrifices are not obedient. They're not coming from the heart. You're not investing into this. Just shut the doors. Close the doors. And what does this mean for us today? This is a confrontational word to the priests of Israel and to Israel. 
But praise God for his confrontation. We need to be confronted. This is loving confrontation. God loves his people. He loves those who are, are following Jesus. And he wants to confront us out of his love. Guys, for us, we need to begin where, just like here, where God begins with himself. We need to begin with God. It's all about God. It's about God and who he is and what he's done. It's about positioning. It's about positioning God appropriately in our lives at the center, at the center, and letting everything we do flow out in response. Could there be any more grace from God? They were fa- where, they were, where they were failing here in the sacrifices in this, in this text, God's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to come down myself, and I'm just going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to do it for you. You don't have to do anything. That's love. Praise God for that. God came down as the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ, and he did the work for us. We don't even have to do the work now. We don't. Because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the sacrificial system is done. It's gone. It has gone away. But it still continues into the New Testament church. It just looks differently. I wanted to give you like three texts where we see this really clearly in the New Testament. In Hebrews 13, it says, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In 1 Peter it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God was calling out the priests in this scripture, not the Israelites. However, today, we as Christians are now the priesthood. We're now the priesthood. Worship is an attitude of our heart in anything that we do. Anything. Anything that we do in our life, it's an attitude of worship in our hearts that we offer to God. It's not merely just the things that we might think about, like the outcome in our actions, like singing and praising and lifting our arms up in the air as we worship. It's not just that. That's a part of it. It's everything in our lives. It's our posture. It's everything. Guys, to offer a sacrifice today is is to live intentionally. Waking up in the morning, God, I give you my body today. I give you my mind and my heart. I give you this day. Show me what you want me to do and help me to do it. Help me to make these sacrifices for you today because you're worthy. If it's not coming from the right heart, then it's not acceptable to God. So before God accepts a sacrifice, he inspects the heart. He inspects the heart first. See, the main point of sacrificing the sacrifices we make is not that they cost something. Our sacrifices should cost us something. Being a Christian should cost us something. But that's not what it's really about. It's about sacrifices that are pleasing to God. It's about pleasing God and honoring His name and what He's done for us on the cross. 
We need a God-centered view of our sacrificial life, not a me-centered view of our sacrificial life. Are you living a sacrificial life? What does it cost you to live as a Christian? To live each day for God as a living sacrifice. Is Riverside a sacrificial church? Is this a sacrificial church? Is your ministry a sacrificial ministry? What do you give up in order to do your ministry? Are your prayers sacrificial or are they me-centered and self-serving? Are our prayers sacrificial? Think about our ministries on Sunday morning when we come together. Man, what are you sacrificing to, to serve God, uh, to serve His church? Man, I don't like sleep. I, I don't like, I'm not a morning person at all, <laughs> even in the least bit. I want to sleep in. I like my sleep. But I also recognize that there's a lot of times when in discipleship, the only option really is to meet up with a guy super early in the morning. So maybe a couple times a week, I'll wake up at 5 a.m. and I'll meet up with a guy at Starbucks for coffee at 5.30, right when the doors open. I don't want to do that. But God, I know. I know that, that is, that's, that's, that's the eternal thing that I, I can do. That's, part of, that's my part and what I know I can do. I have to make that sacrifice because I know it's worth eternal things. And it's not about me just investing in somebody else. It's about me being invested in as well. So is it worth it to wake up that early for that? Man, I think it is. I think it is. Some of you, I don't meet up that early. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Some of you, I meet up at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Guys, biblical community, this can look like many different things, the sacrifices we make in our life. Are we, are we, are we, are we making time in our schedules to, to, to be in a small group, to be in biblical community, to, in this discipleship, to pursue God? Are we, are we taking the time and sacrificing the time to... To, to, to serve on Sunday mornings in a ministry with the kids' ministries or whatever it is, the cafe, parking, greeting. Man, maybe it's just for some of us, it's just waking up in the morning to go to church. <laughs> maybe that's a stretch, just to wake up. Man, that's a sacrifice we have to make. God, I want to pursue you. What does this look like? Well, it means part of it is waking up at maybe 8 o'clock in the morning and coming to hear a word from me and being around biblical community so you can grow as a follower of Jesus. Maybe God has put it on your heart to financially give to a missionary or a church planter. I don't know. Living sacrificially is, is tithing to your church. Man, are we making those sacrifices? Does our bank account reflect a sacrificial life? Does it reflect a sacrificial life? We're called to live lives that reflect Christ's sacrifice. What's that mean? It means that we're called to, to be welcoming and to be loving and to be forgiving. Sure, for the people that we love, for in our families and, and our friends and, and, and things like that. But that's not the only thing that reflects Christ's sacrifice. We're called also to be welcoming and loving and forgiving to those against us. That's a sacrifice. Man, you love your family, a big whoop. What about the guy that hates you? That's a sacrifice, pleasing to God. When we lay down our life for somebody that wouldn't do it for us, 
Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life, not just for those who liked him, but also for those who hated him. That's a sacrifice, pleasing to God. Are we giving him our best work? Are we giving him our best words coming out of our mouths? Are we blessing people? That's a sacrifice. It's not so much about quantity. Are we giving him the most work or the most words? Are we giving him our best work and our best words? It's not quantity, it's quality. The quality of our sacrifices. That's what pleases God. Man, you look at the poor widow in Mark 12. She had nothing. And she gave a couple coins, which would probably be equivalent to a couple nickels. I don't know. She had nothing. And that's all she gave. But that's all she had. Man, that was pleasing to Jesus. He was impressed by that. That was a sacrifice for her that was pleasing to Jesus. You see, for the Israelites, the priests here in Malachi, God, he's not at the center of their world. He's not. He's not at the center of their world. When we're at the center of our world, when it's me, and when I'm at the center of our world, today's text and all of Malachi, we're going to learn, is what we can expect in our lives. When we're at the center of our world, not God. We need a God-centered view of our life and our world. The priests were acting like God was their Savior, and He was. But they weren't acting like He was their Lord. You know, many of us say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Maybe He's your Savior. But man, for many of us, maybe He's not our Lord. We're not acting like He's our Lord. We're not living the sacrificial life that reflects His Lordship in our lives. I mean, the priests, they grew ungrateful. They're doing these things because they're just ungrateful. They're not grateful anymore for what God has done in the past and what He's doing now. Sometimes we grow ungrateful. We, just, we, we fail to see what God is doing and we forget about what He's done. And this ungratefulness just starts rooting in our hearts. We need God to, we need to pray and ask God, God, take this ungratefulness out of my heart and put in a grateful heart for everything that he's done. Their sacrifices, the priests, they had the appearance of godliness. They were bringing the animals and they were burning them up. They were doing the thing. And they had the appearance of godliness, but the sacrifices were worth nothing because there was no obedience in the sacrifices. Guys, the sacrifice of the Son on the cross was all godliness. It was all godliness. Jesus was obedient for us. And it was worth everything to the Father. And it should be worth everything to us. God, give me that heart. I want that heart. You pray that prayer, He'll give that to you. He'll give that to you. Man, serving and worshiping and praising God to the, the priests, it felt like work to them. It wasn't worshiping. It looked like it. It wasn't worshiping. It wasn't praising. It just felt like work to them. Man, when we fall into that, that hole where we're serving in the church and it, and it just becomes work, that's the sign of we're, going, we're starting to go down a path that we don't want to go down. And that's the path that the priests 
of Israel were going down. It just started feeling like work to them. They were weary of it. They were tired. They were tired of it. They were snorting about it. God wants us to rest in this truth. He wants us to rest in this truth and position him appropriately. He wants us to rest in the truth of Christ and what he's done on the cross. He did the work for us. He was obedient for us. God wants us to rest in that and position him appropriately and serve worship and praise him in response to what he has done. When we do that, that's freeing. It should be freeing. God wants us to live in that, live in his saving work and respond to it. He's done it all. He's done it all. Sacrifice is hard because the world does not promote self-sacrifice. It does not do it. It probably says it does, but it doesn't. It does not promote sacrificial living. It promotes comfort and convenience, and it promotes me-centeredness. It's all about me and my success and me getting ahead and jumping over people to get ahead. That's what the world promotes. God, sacrifice is hard because of sin. It's hard because of sin. Sin causes us to stay inward, to stay inward and not go outward. Sin causes us to keep our heads down in our neighborhoods and not look at our neighbors. But what we need to do is lift our heads up and pay attention to the people around. Pay attention to our neighbors and our community. Sin is antisocial. Man, and it's complicated. It's rooted deep in our hearts. And sin does not promote self-sacrifice. It promotes me-centeredness. And that's what we're seeing in the priests and in the Israelites and Malachi. I don't want you guys to leave here. It's really quiet. <laughs> it's a confrontational word. I don't want you guys to leave here scared. Because we shouldn't be scared. This should point us to the love of God. That's what I want you to leave here with. It should point us to the great love of God. We shouldn't leave here in a panic. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm not living sacrificially enough. I got to sell my house and sell my car and, you know, you know, give my baby away and, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. No, that's not what our approach should be. Jesus made the ultimate and the greatest sacrifice anybody could ever make, could ever make. We need only to receive that to receive that and rest in that and allow that to free us. Then we should pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to make these sacrifices? Where do you want me to live sacrificially? It's probably going to look first and foremost in our family and in our marriage. That's where God starts. He starts with the marriage. Guys, not just one spouse is called to live the gospel in the marriage. Both spouses are called to live the gospel in the marriage. Both spouses are called to sacrifice. Both spouses are called to serve each other. That's sacrifice. That's what the gospel is. So I don't want us to leave scared here. Jesus' sacrifice, it remains powerful for eternity. It will not lose its power. It hasn't faded away since it happened. It remains all-powerful but he's still not offering it. He's not offering it anymore. It was a once and for all sacrifice. Christ's work is finished. There's no sacrifice that we can make that will gain the favor of God. 
We cannot do something or sacrifice something to get God's favor. We get God's favor completely and wholly in putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. That's where God's favor comes from. And anything that we do sacrificially in our life should come as a response to that. That's, that should be a freeing feeling in our hearts as we're walking with Jesus. As following Jesus, it's a process. <laughs> it's a marathon. It's a process. Growing in our sacrificial life. Like, we don't all of a sudden, like, just become like these all-out sacrificial beings. You know, we start off kind of immature in our walk, and then we just continue to grow, and God puts us on a trajectory, a trajectory of growing in our sacrificial living. We grow in our sacrificial living. So 10 years from now, man, I hope I know Jesus more than I did now, and I hope the quality of my sacrificial life has increased 10 years from now. I want to be able, then, I want to be able to look back to today and be like, wow, yeah, I've grown. I've grown in my sacrificial life and the quality of my sacrificial life. But it's not going to happen because of anything that I do. It's going to happen because of me positioning Jesus at the center of my life and allowing that to free me and then just simply responding to what he's done. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. Let's pray.